0: You're listening to the Light for Living podcast, featuring the sermons of Emmanuel Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas, where Dr. Clark Whitney serves as senior pastor. Join us for verse-by-verse messages through the life-changing Word of God. Along the way, we'll also feature devotional thoughts, Bible studies, and interviews, all designed to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it and turn to the book of Psalm Chapter 73, Psalm 73. It's good to be with you this morning as we continue summer road trip. We've looked at different passages in the Bible that talk about roads, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the question in front of us this morning is this. Why do good things happen to bad people? You heard that right. We often ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But the question before us this morning as we walk through Psalm 73, why do good things happen to bad people? Have you ever been trying to live for God or or do the right thing? And you look around you and, and you see everybody else prospering and having a great time and everything's wonderful, doing their own thing. And here you are trying to follow the Lord and all you get is trials and troubles. Perhaps you ask, uh, is it even worth following God at all? If if bad things are going to happen to me, what is the use of it all? Why does everybody else seem to be getting ahead and and I can't catch a break? I certainly felt like this last Sunday after I preached uh, on Father's Day. And I I walked out to, uh, well, our our, our family car and it wouldn't start. And I thought, Lord, here I am. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I'm tired. I just want to go home and take a nap on Father's Day. And God, why have you blessed me with this problem? This question is a question of perspective, and we're going to set it up in a moment by looking at Matthew 7. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. Uh, But I want to share a quick story about a road trip that was important to me that set in motion a chain of events that led to me being here today. See, when I was a senior in high school, uh, my family moved from Austin, Texas, to Searcy, Arkansas. I grew up in Texas. I spent... All the the growing up years of my life there. When I was a senior, God called my father to pastor First Baptist Church, Searcy, Arkansas. Now if you know anything about when, especially a Southern Baptist Church calls a pastor, it's kind of like dating in secret. It's kind of like you have a boyfriend or girlfriend that you don't want anyone to know about. Uh, Because you keep it on the down low in case something doesn't work out, okay? I'm just telling you the truth. And so there's these meetings kind of in secret, and you don't let people know. And and the pastor that's that's considering it don't want to let his church know, and the committee doesn't want to let their church know because it's not a sealed deal yet. And anyways, I remember a team from First Baptist Church came to my home in Austin, and then later we all got in the car, and we traveled to Arkansas. We'd only been there a time or two, and we went to see Cersei. This was kind of pre. Uh, wedding. Because you go from kind of uh, dating on the down low straight to the wedding and the marriage with the view of a call, okay? You can laugh at that, but that's how it is. It just goes from zero to 60 really quickly. Uh, So we were traveling there just to check out the town and to see the church and to visit with the team. And I was somehow in charge as a 17-year-old of the directions. And so we started traveling through Arkansas. We had never done that quite and we got up to Little Rock on the interstate, coming up from Texas, and I was in charge of the directions. Now, mind you, I didn't have an iPhone. There was really no Google Maps or Waze or Apple Maps. Uh, We just had, you know, in those days you had kind of a GPS in your car, you could punch it in, and most of the time it was wrong because you had to update the chip and you know all that. So I was in charge of the navigation, and in Little Rock we turned, and we made a turn that I thought was correct to go to Cersei. The turn actually was heading on the interstate towards Memphis. See, I missed Highway 67 by a few exits. And my parents kept saying, are you sure that this is the way to Searcy? And I said, yes, I'm sure. I got it. I know what I'm doing. Well, about an hour down the road, we figured out we were headed in the wrong direction. And I felt so guilty and so ashamed because this search team was waiting on my dad. They were all gathered together in someone's home, and they were expecting us to be there. And here we are going up through Des Arc and all those places, and we didn't know where we were going, came up the back way, and got there an hour late. Uh, so that was going the wrong direction. I, I felt so bad, but I guess it worked out. My dad's been there for 11 or 12 years. Uh, sometimes we think that we're going the right direction in life, and we're really going the wrong direction. I want to set up our message today by reading to you Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. You're probably familiar with this, but, but think about these words that come straight from Jesus. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many that go through it. How narrow the gate and how difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Jesus says there's a whole lot of people going In the wrong direction. They're doing their own thing. They're going their own way. Perhaps they don't even realize it, but the end destination is not good times. The end destination is destruction. Jesus also said there is a narrow way, and it's difficult, and it's hard to find, and few find it, but it leads to life. In Psalm 73, there was a man named Asaph. He was actually a song leader. Uh, a music pastor for Israel. He was one of the three that King David appointed to lead worship in the tent of meeting and then later in the temple. David uh, set this man apart. In fact, the Bible tells us that Asaph played cymbals, so he was a drummer. Uh, And he was very interested in leading God's people to praise. He was a man of God. But in this this psalm, we have about ten that are written by Asaph. Uh, we see his heart that is really troubled because he's looking at people in life that are going the two different roads. And he looks at the people going on the broad road and he says, why are they getting by and having a great time and everything's wonderful for them? And here I am trying to follow God and, and I'm in pain and I'm afflicted and I have troubles all the day long. So I want you to know today the road to destruction is wide. It's broad. There are many lanes on it. I used to live off of I 75 in Perry, Georgia. You take that interstate to Atlanta, at some places it gets 16 lanes wide. That is like the wide road that leads to destruction. There are many people headed in the wrong way. But the narrow way, the way to life, the way of Jesus, uh, is something that few people will find. Let's look this morning in Psalm 73. You got it? Say got it. The Bible says this, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time till they die and until their bodies, they're, they're well fed. They're not in trouble like other people. They're not afflicted like most people therefore pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment their eyes bulge out from fatness their imagination of their hearts run wild they mock they speak maliciously they arrogantly threaten oppression they set their mouths against heaven against their tongues strut across the earth and therefore his people turn to them and they drink in their overflowing words the wicked say how can God know Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease. They increase in their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long, and I'm punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until... I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you have put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin, and how suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by their terrors, like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising you will despise their image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and I did not understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me up and receive me into glory. Who do I have in heaven but you, and I desire nothing on earth beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever." Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about what you do. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray you would open up our spiritual eyes, that we would see the truth of your word. And God, we would have hope even in the adversity of life and the difficulties and the problems, whatever we're facing this morning, God. I pray you would encourage us. God, that you would change our perspective from an earthly perspective to an eternal one. God, we humble ourselves before you. We ask that you would move in this time, that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in this place. God, we pray that if some do not know you today, today would be the day of salvation, that they would get off the wide road and find the narrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I've discovered something, Emmanuel, that uh, South Arkansas heat is different from other kinds of heat. I I told you I grew up in Texas, and then we lived in Georgia. Uh, but there's nothing quite like South Arkansas heat and humidity. You say it once, you said it a thousand times. It's not the heat, it's the humidity. And so one of the things I have a love-hate relationship, and perhaps you do too, is, is working out in the yard. My wife likes to do that. I like to be in the A.C. most of the time. But we have to get out because we have little kids, and they have so much energy that, that we got to get out and play with them, and we've got to work in the yard, and, and we've got to get outside the house, otherwise, we'll feel like we are going crazy. So on Saturdays, usually we're around the house working or playing outside. And we're sweating and we're hot. Uh, and and we're, w- we're just looking for some relief, okay? And so I'll be out there mowing and, and and Aaron will be blowing the driveway and the kids will be running around or weed eating or whatever we may do. And it gets so hot that that have you ever had just the sweat just fall into your eyes and start to sting you? You ever felt that? Nobody felt that. Well, I, I definitely felt that, and I get so hot, and I get so agitated, and all of a sudden, I hear my neighbor behind me, and they have a pool. And I hear music, and I hear kids laughing, it's flashing, and everybody's having a good time, and I just get so irritated because they're having a good time, and I'm having a hot time. Now, they're good folks, I'm not saying anything about them, but Lord, would you bless me with a swimming pool? I promise you that I would use it for the church. I would use it for the children and the students. God, if you would just bless me, I would use it as a ministry tool. Sometimes in life we feel that way when when we look at everything that, that is going wrong in our life and we hear everybody else eating, drinking, and having a great time. I want you to look at Psalm 73 and I want you to see first the wide road. Asaph looked around, and he saw an earthly perspective of the people around him. And and he looked to them, and and he begins in verse 1 by affirming who God is. He said, God is good to Israel, means he's the only one good to the pure in heart. But he says, as for me, my feet almost slipped. Asaph said, I I almost tripped up, almost fell down because I looked around me, and here's what I saw. First, he saw the initial attraction of the wide road. He saw how attractive the road was. All the wonderful, beautiful, happy things that seemed to go along with the people on the wide road. Here's what he saw. I envied the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. First thing he saw was the charm of the the attraction. He saw the prosperity. There's nothing wrong with, with having wealth and having money, but it seemed like these wicked people were worshiping money. And the more they worship money, the more they seemed to get. They prospered. They had plenty of wealth. They had an overabundance of wealth. And he looked at their prosperity, and he said, I looked at these wicked people who didn't even follow God, and they were prosperous. Verse 4, he tells about their pleasure. He says, they have an easy time until they die. They've got an easy road to life, and their bodies are well fed. They have plenty of food. They have just a pleasurable life. Things seem to go in the right direction. They always get a break. Then he keeps going. He said, they're not in trouble like the others, and they are not afflicted like most people. Not only did he see prosperity and pleasure, he saw less problems and less pain to people on the wide road. He looked at them and said, they've got such an easy life. It seems like they never have troubles. Everything is wonderful for them. Then he says in verse 6, therefore pride is their necklace. See, he shifts here, and and he talks about the outcome. Uh, They had lived a life that that was focused on their own pleasure and happiness, and they had rejected God, and and for a time, everything seemed to be going well. There was an initial attraction. There was a charm to the way that they lived life. Uh, We look on TV, and we see, uh, you may remember the show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, or when I was a teenager, it was Cribs. You could see how the celebrities lived. Now, I don't watch it, but the Real Housewives, they've got like eight or nine different versions. You can just look and see a lifestyle that, that others have that, that seems to be so admirable, seems to be so attractive and alluring. And Esau looks around and he says, this is the charm of it, but here's the outcome of it. There's pride. In verse 6, he says, therefore, pride is their necklace. It's the chain that they wear. They're, they're known and identified to the world by their pride. Uh, by the, their confidence in themselves to get ahead in life. said, so I look around and, and pride is what they wear. And he says, violence covers them like a garment. Not only do they, they have pride, verse 7 says, they have gluttony. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. That's very interesting. We have such an abundance of food, but there's so many that don't have food. Sometimes we just get so caught up, we want more and more and more, whether it be food or or pleasure, or a bigger house, or a bigger boat, uh, and we turn gluttonous because we just can't have enough. We just gorge ourselves on our own pleasure and satisfaction. So not only was the outcome prideful, it was gluttonous. Also, it was blasphemous. Keep going. The imagination of their hearts run wild. Verse 8 says that they mock, they speak maliciously. They talk bad about other people, they they, they pull other people down, but not only that, they arrogantly threaten oppression. Uh, They oppress the people that aren't like them and then they set their mouths against heaven so not only are their mouths against other people but they eventually blaspheme and profane the name of God here's what they say with their tongues strutting across the earth look in verse 11 the wicked say how can God know does the Most High know everything essentially they say I can do whatever I want to do God will not see it God's not gonna care The way that I'm living my life is the way that I can always live my life without any consequence whatsoever. I don't have to answer to God. God in heaven doesn't care about the way I live. And so this is the outcome of their life. Matthew Henry, he said this, There are many who have a great deal of this life in their hands, but nothing of the next life in their hearts. They had a wonderful abundance of of all the things you and I would say are great to have in this life. But their focus on those things, good things, uh, food and shelter and clothing and and material wealth is okay. But they had worshipped those things in the place of God. And it led them not only to pride and gluttony, but eventually to blasphemy God. Uh, a, A culture that rejected God. We live in that culture today. We have so much affluence and abundance. We're so blessed. And I'm proud to be an American. I'm glad that, that we live in the United States and all the wonderful freedoms we enjoy. But so many are taking it for granted that we have forgotten where our freedoms and our blessings come from. And we've shaken our fist at God and we said, there's a God in heaven he's not going to know. He doesn't know everything. Can I tell you something this morning? The things that you see other people have and the wonderful, cool things you see them do is not really the way it probably is behind closed doors. When we scroll on social media, we see the best parts of other people's lives. When we watch the shows, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous or Cribs, we see all the good stuff. They don't, they don't put their bad stuff on there. On social media, it's pretty rare for someone to be truly vulnerable. You just put your best things, the trip you went on, and, and the milestones of your life. And that's wonderful, but, but can I just tell you this? The people that look like they have it all together, the, the influencers, the ones who think that, that they have it perfect, could I just tell you that they're probably broken down behind closed doors? That the, the people I've talked to in life, it doesn't matter your wealth or your status, uh, I've talked to people who are miserable but have all the things that the world would say is valuable. So that is their initial attraction, but I also want you to see today their eventual destruction. Even if they don't initially realize it, they're on the wide road, and the destination is different than the journey. The destination is initially attractive. That's why so many people are on the highway to hell. But the end result is devastation and destruction. It's so not destruction in this life, because we just read about how easy a life that they have. Not destruction in the sense of them one day dying, because the psalm here says that they have an easy time, and they pass into death seemingly painlessly. The destruction the Bible's talking about here is the one that Jesus talked about quite a bit, perhaps more than any other subject. It's the eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We don't want to think about hell. Uh, We shouldn't flippantly talk about hell. We should talk about hell with tears in our eyes. Because you and I deserve hell because of the sin that we have done against God. We want to think about hell for people like Hitler and Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. But we don't want to think that that our sin, the things that we've done wrong against God, is deserving of eternal punishment. But that's exactly what we deserve. And there are three things about those on the wide road in this destruction. Look in verse 16. Skip down. Asaf said, I tried to understand all this. It seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. He said, I didn't understand why these people had so much good things going for them until I got into God's house. He was a worship leader. And so he went into worship, and all of a sudden, his perspective totally changed, and he saw things in part the way that God sees them. And this is what he saw. First of all, he saw that their destruction was sure. In the back half of 17, it says, I understood their destiny. Uh, It is sure in that it is going to happen. God has decreed it, and God cannot lie. The Bible says that the judge of all the earth will do what's right. And when I stand before him, he will do what's right by me. And apart from Jesus, what's right by me is for me to be cast into everlasting punishment away from God. Because I've rejected him, and I've gone my own way. The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to their own way. But the good news is, is that God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When you and I stand before God, the only way to escape eternal judgment is to have Jesus in your place. This judgment is sure, because God promised it. Because it's right and fair, because God's holy and we're not, and that it's final. There will be no changes or do-overs when you reach your eternal destination. It is sure. It is also very sudden, Look in verse 19, how suddenly they become a desolation. In an instant, all the things that they think that that provide them security vanish like a vapor. It's just an illusion. And they stand before God, and their judgment is sudden. You and I could pass away in the next five minutes. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so we think we, we have a great path in life, and we're going the right way. But at any moment, we could die and meet God. It is also severe. Look in verse 19b. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. It'll be, just be so sudden, not that, that God is sleeping on them, that he's not paying attention, but that when he wakes up and he decides that it's time, the judge of all the earth will do right. The Bible says that right now God is patient with us, and that it's his patience that leads us to repentance. If God's giving you, you, you a, a time where you can do your own thing, he's giving you an opportunity to stop, and, and he wants to convict you and to turn you back to him. Just because you're not facing the consequences for your actions now doesn't mean that he's not trying to get your attention. Doesn't mean that he's not patient towards you and loves you and wants you to turn to him. So it is sure, it is sudden, it is severe. That was from Matthew Henry. Now I want you to see the narrow road, the narrow road. Because all these things on the wide road ended up just being an illusion. It wasn't real. It didn't last. Here's what happens on the narrow road. There are temporary troubles. There are temporary troubles. Have you ever had a day that you just felt like the troubles were laid on thick? Perhaps you got up in the morning and you went to your car and the car wouldn't start. So you call AAA and they give you a jump and you finally get to work and the boss is being a jerk. And then all of a sudden, you get a call from the school, and the kid is sick. So you get that figured out, get him home, get back to work. And you find out, you look at your bank account, and it's drained. Well, you you go home, and you think, finally, I'm going to get some peace and quiet. You sit down, and your wife sits down, and all of a sudden, you're so frustrated, you get in a fight with your wife. And then dinner in the oven, it ends up getting burned. You get the kids to bed, you patch it up with the wife, you sit down on the, on the easy chair. You think, finally, I'm just going to relax and have a moment of peace. You look down at the dog, and the dog has diarrhea. <laughs> Sometimes we have life where things are troubled over and over and over. Uh, it's not very encouraging this morning, but that's what As- Asaf said. He said, there are many afflictions on the narrow road. There, there are many troubles. There are many things that, that will throw you off your game. Look at what he said. I'm glad I finally got you reacting. (laughs) We had an evangelism training, and we had a sister from another church, another denomination, and and as I was training, I was just reading the material. She just kept saying amen and thank you, Jesus. I said, would you please come join my church? I just love it. (laughs) We have different troubles in life. Uh, We have... Uh, bitter hearts as well. Our hearts are, are wounded. Look in verse 21. When I became embittered, my innermost being, it, it was wounded. Because he looked around and he compared himself, he fell into a trap with other people. He said, my, my heart's wounded. Uh, sometimes we have bitter hearts because of the things that other people have done to us. The the problems that we have. And, and we we throw ourselves a party of one, a, a pity party, and we say, you know what, I'm just bitter because everybody else has got stuff and i got nothing. And Asaph did that. He said, I'm looking around and, and, and my innermost being was wounded. The deepest part of me had a wound. This word here, embittered, it, it literally means sour tasting or pungent. If you ever go to pour cereal and you've got milk, it's expired. And you smell it and it's bitter. Sometimes that's our heart when we think about the troubles that we have. It leads us to bitterness. But also our minds are foolish. Look in verse 22. We tell our children not to say this word, but here it is. I was stupid. I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal before you. So I've said, not only was I bitter in my heart, I was foolish in my mind. The things that I thought were true were not the correct things. Just because you think something in your mind does not make it true. Sometimes we fixate on thoughts and and, and we think that, that a lie is true. And if we believe the lie is true, as someone has said, well, act like it's true. And it'll lead to a bad consequence. And Esau said, really, my mind was so foolish, I became like an unthinking animal. An animal doesn't really think about the next day or the next moment. And he said, I've just been uh, just thinking not the right thoughts. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts when we turn inside instead of outside for the answer. Not only that, look in verse 26. Our minds are foolish, our hearts are wounded, our bodies fail. Verse 26 One of the best promises in all the Bible. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Uh, One of these days, your body's going to give out. I read this week that medical professionals say at age 30, there are certain systems in your body that begin decaying. The aging process begins the long, slow march towards death. Now, being 31 years old, you can imagine how I felt about that. But but whether you realize it or not, maybe you're young and you have lots of energy and you can serve the Lord that way. That's wonderful. But one of these days, our body is going to fail. It also says our heart's going to fail. In the Hebrew mind, it was not just the heart that we think about as the emotions. It was every part of the person, the soul and the spirit, the mind. Sometimes our minds fail. We can't remember things. Our minds don't work properly. We have mental health issues. And he says our minds are foolish, and our bodies fail. Now, this is a great encouragement to walk the narrow road, is it not? Because the wide road is healthy and wealthy and wise and happy. But I want to tell you today that although there are temporary troubles, there is a far greater eternal treasure. Look in verse 23. Asaph, after he had entered the sanctuary, after he had gotten his praise on, this is what he said. I am always with you. First of all, he acknowledged God's presence, that God was with him. Whether he realized the presence of God or not, God was in his heart and in his life and always wanting to speak to him and to encourage him. If you're walking through a trial or a difficulty today, whether it feels like he is or not, God is near to you through Jesus Christ. And Asaph said, his presence is here. I'm always with you. And then he says, you hold my right hand. Uh, In Hebrew, thought the parent would guide the child by holding the right hand. So not only do we have his presence, we have his guidance. We have his wisdom to go through the path of life, the one that has so many troubles and toils and snares, but he's with us not only in presence, but in guidance. He shows us the way to go. He also gives us promises. He says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me up into glory. That's the promise of God of eternal life. It reminds me of when Jesus breathed his last and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The only one we can trust in the moment of death is God, and to put our souls in his hands. And he said, after, after this life, after you guide me through this, this temporary troubled life, You will take me up and receive me into glory. God had promised him heaven. He had also promised just a desiring heart on the earth. Look in verse 25. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth besides you. He looked around and he said, Really, none of this world is worth anything to me. And even all the angels and glories and happiness of heaven is worth nothing if I don't have God. When you realize that Jesus is all you have, you find out he's all you really need. And heaven without Jesus would be no heaven at all. It's going to be wonderful to see our loved ones. It's going to be awesome to be in the place where there's no more crying or pain. All the things that of this world have passed away. But the best thing about heaven is Jesus. And he's given us that promise. Until then, he's given us his strength. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life. Even when I'm weak, He is strong. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. Sometimes God allows us to experience trials and difficulties and problems and all the troubles we have so that we will realize that He is strong in them. Sometimes He doesn't take us out of the storm. He leads us through it so that we can get closer to Him and so He can make us more like Jesus. So he gives us his strength and weakness. He also gives us his protection. Those far from you verse 27 will certainly perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. Gives us the the the, the protection and then he says I have made the Lord God my refuge. Even in all the things going on around me, God is my source of strength, he is my hiding place, he is my shield, and I'm going to trust in him, even though all the things around me are troubled. He says, not only are you my refuge, my protection, but he says, I'm going to proclaim God, I'm going to tell others about all you do. It's his faithfulness and the difficulties and the problems that enable us to have a testimony of his faithfulness and His presence, and His strength, and His promises, all the wonderful eternal treasures that He has given us through Christ. And He's given us those things so that we could be a light to the world, so that we could show others the love of Jesus, so that we could warn those who the Bible says are stumbling towards death and staggering towards the slaughter. The wide road looks rather good in this life, but it is absolutely worthless in the next life. To the world, the narrow road looks worthless in this life, But it is invaluable in the life to come. Would you bow with me this morning? I would ask you simply today, what road are you on? Whether you realize it or not, the Bible says, wide is the road that leads to destruction. And there are many on it. But there is a narrow road. There is a way to God. But there is but one way. His name is Jesus. In His infinite holiness and His love, God has provided one way for you and I, sinful human beings on the wide road on our own, to be right with Him. He's given us the very best. He's given us Himself. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternal, fully God and fully man, took on flesh and dwelt among us. That means He he became humanity. He took on all of our trials and temptations, but he never sinned. And Jesus went to the cross as an innocent man. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, on the cross, paid an infinite price because he was a perfect person. And the infinite price he paid was that of his own blood. He gave everything he had until all he had left was the blood in his veins, and he gave that. Why? Because God loves you. Because God wants you to know Him. Because He wants you to have His presence. He wants to give you the promise of eternal life. And today, the the promise is made available to anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. We hope you'll tune back in next time to the Light for Living podcast.